Hey everyone, welcome to Hit the Apex Podcast. It's Jawad here. Thank you for tuning in. Um, yeah, this is the mid-season, mid-term report card, mid-season special, whatever you want to call it. Uh, at the end of the mid-season break, it is actually race week this week, just, just so you know, or you might have heard somewhere. Uh, F1 is back this weekend um, at the Belgian Grand Prix, which I'm sure a lot of people are excited for. I'm excited for too. You know, it's nice having a break in between, and obviously, as you know, there's been a lot going on in my world as well, so it was nice to have that kind of break from racing and, and from F1 in particular, not having to do any of this stuff so it's nice to just come back and I said oh yeah you know it's probably worth doing one of these mid-season reports and you know it'll kind of tie into to Belgium as well coming up this weekend so uh yeah that's what I do that's what I'm going to do and um the way it's set up as I usually do I've got some notes written down um mainly just going through the field in tiers, so, you know, kind of split them between, you know, the title fight, you know, who's in third place, midfield battles, who's at the back, and all that kind of thing, so not going to be running through each team's results with a fine-tooth comb, but, you know, just having a casual chat as I do about um, some of the highlights and lowlights of uh, each team, um, in, in as much detail as I feel like, <laughs> you know, I'm not going to add anything which I don't feel like it's already been, if I feel like it's already been said a million times, I might for certain things, now I'm waffling again, see this is what happens when you don't do this for a few weeks as you kind of lose your rhythm and begin to waffle, uh, without further ado though, Let's kind of start from the back uh, rather than from the front. And I've got this titled as the the cellar dwellers, and that's kind of what they are at the moment this year. Um, three teams kind of at the back of the field on a consistent on a consistent basis. Disappointingly, though, one of them is AlphaTauri, who sit seven points behind the Haas team, and Haas we'll talk about a bit after, but, you know, given the fact that this is a team that has punched above its weight and done quite well over the past few years, they had that win with Pierre Gasly in 2020, and then, of course, another podium last year in Baku with Gasly again. They came into this season with a with the same lineup, and we expected, uh, you know, Gasly to keep on going strength to strength and possibly even um, knock on the door of a big team, which, you know, we found out that he's going to be staying put at AlphaTauri for next season. Yuki Tsunoda, improvements, yes, on his first season, but it's more so the car this year that's kind of let both of them down. Both have only had three top 10 finishes each, so that's, you know, six times that they've scored as a team as well. That's why they're so far down. Uh, when you look at the team behind them, Aston Martin, they're seven points away, as well as, you know, seven points behind the Haas team, who, in my eyes, have been one of the uh, improvements of the year. Where does it go from here for AlphaTauri? You know, they're just going to have to start scoring points. I don't know if they've got upgrades coming and anything like that, but, you know, we know that Gasly is better than this. Sonoda, he's shown signs of improvement, but, you know, still there's some inconsistencies. And it's overall just sad to see that, you know, if Gasly is staying there for another season, uh, the decline in performance. So you'd hope that they get 
things together for next season, struggling to adapt to the rules for 2022. Aston Martin, though, <laughs> I've kind of given them a lot of grief already this season, and, you know, it's not going to stop me from giving them more. But the fact that, you know, they failed to make that step up this season with the new regulations, I know a lot of the infrastructure that they're building and uh, working on back at their Silverstone base won't be online just yet, but given the added investment and, you know, all that sort of stuff, the new personnel that they've brought in, like some Mike Crack team principal, they've got Martin Whitmarsh there too, um, they really haven't made any progress from last year, you know, they came in, they had this car concept that was quite radical, the car looked quite cool, uh, didn't work for them, but then they changed that concept to what Red Bull have more so in Barcelona, and really that's given them some points finishes, you know, Sebastian Vettel has been great, he had his uh, personal best finishes sixth in Baku, he's always quite handy in Baku, Lawrence Laura, uh, Stroll, Lance Stroll, uninspiring as ever, uh, you know, he's only had 10th place finishes so far this season, four of them in fact, and yeah, it's just going to be an interesting one, because that team's going to go through a big change for next year, with Fernando Alonso coming on board, Sebastian Vettel announcing his retirement too, um, and with the way that things are going, it's going to be almost like a soft exit for Vettel, given the fact that, you know, he's a driver who's achieved so much in his career, and, you know, for his F1 career to come to a close on a whimper, maybe finish for some points, who knows, but they're a team that I don't think that are going to move forwards as much for the rest of the year, Alpha Tauri have more of a chance, you know, given that they've got a driver of Gasly's calibre, and Sonoda as well on his day is, is strong, you know, we've seen him uh, at the end of last year, Abu Dhabi getting a, a career best finish. I think it was fourth or fifth he got in that race. So it's definitely not out of the question that those guys might move forward, but um, not Aston Martin, I think. Williams as well, not really making much of a step up this year. They're still very much the team in last place. They're 17 points behind Aston Martin at the moment, and they're only have points on the board courtesy of some excellent drives from uh, Alex Albon early in the season, that uh, Australian Grand Prix where he went to pretty much the final lap of the race on one set of tyres and changed, you know, we, we were all concerned whether they had forgotten the rules that they actually had to make a pit stop, but they did, got them 10th in the end, and uh, again in Miami for ninth. So good job from those guys. Nicholas Latifi, unfortunately, the drums beating on his career. He's struggling in the 2022 spec car. Too many mistakes. Just can't seem to get it right. He was fastest in practice, though, in Hungary in the wet. So, you know, that's one highlight everyone can get behind for the GOAT in Nicholas Latifi. But, um, you know, with, with all the stuff going on about Oscar Piastri and everything... Um, you know, I still think Latifi will be replaced for next year, most likely. Williams looking at F2, front runner Logan Sargent, that would be a good call-up alongside Albon. And Albon, of course, being confirmed as well on a multi-year deal for, for Williams, so a bit of consistency there for them. But yeah, like when you look at this part of the field, you know, you don't expect... This year, really, I didn't expect any of them to be down there even though someone's got to be in last, you know, in the bottom places. 
but I did expect more from all three of these teams, so it is a bit disappointing to see them where they are. Um, ahead of them, though, like I said, Haas and also Alfa Romeo, two of the big improvers on last season in particular. You know, when you look at both their seasons, Haas were basically just, you know, you had Nikita Mazepin, what do you expect when you got him on the team? They didn't have any upgrades you know, they basically raced the same spec car that they did the year before in 2020, so, you know, not much to be expected from them, but Alfa Romeo, I think the arrival of Valtteri Bottas has really rejuvenated them, you know, he's in the top 10 at the moment in the Drivers' Championship too, uh, Guan Yu Zhou, the rookie, points for him on debut, he scored some more points since then, and I think, you know, perhaps one of the more underrated drivers this season, I think, you know, a lot of us were quite critical of Joe coming into this season because he had gotten that seat on the F1 grid ahead of uh, Piastri, who was the F2 champion last year. But he's come in, he's done a solid job. I think more so he's been plagued by car unreliability. He also had that big shunt in Silverstone as well, which, you know, caused headlines and everything. And it was so good to see him walk away from that. And there's been some changes to the cars for next year that has been announced in terms of the roll hoop and everything as well as a result of um, the FIA's reaction to that crash, so it was good to see him walk away from that, but yeah, I think once the consistency in the car comes together, we could see him consistently get some results, and that's the thing, you know, Joe, he might not be the most amazing driver, um, he's very much like a Nicholas Latifi in my eyes, but when they can get the car in the right spot, there's no saying that they can't get results, you know, we saw Latifi go on a little run last year, get some points, and it was like, oh yeah, you know, we might have to give him a chance for 2022, so I think, you know, from from his driving ability and his, you know, where he's at at the moment, uh, he has not done very much wrong at the moment, if he goes and has a year like Latifi has had this year, where it's pretty much all the driver's fault, then, you know, we can very much say that um, he is not going to be sticking around a lot longer. But good to see Bottas, though, uh, doing what he's doing. He's been getting the car into Q3, scoring points on a regular basis. You know, it's probably not been a consistent run for him in the last few races, really, since um, uh, Silverstone, where he had the DNF. But, you know, he's been up there. Sixth was his best finish in... Oh, sorry. Fifth was his best finish in uh, Imola as well in the wet conditions. So, I think, you know, it's good to see him rejuvenate the Alfa Romeo team. Of course, news about Alfa or rumours about Alfa and their future. They could be uh, becoming the Audi factory team in 2026. So, depending on if Bottas is sticking around that long or not, I think, you know, he's put the team in a good place and you know if they do get that factory support and turn into that factory team we know Bottas is the kind of driver that can be at the front again um you know whether he can sustain the pressure for a title fight or whatever later on in his career who knows um he won't have Lewis Hamilton as a teammate that's for sure Whereas uh, we come to Haas, and, you know, Haas made a hot start this year. Kevin Magnussen, who was brought back into the car, of course, after the Russian invasion of Ukraine, and Haas wanting to sever any ties with uh, Mazepin and his family, so they're out of the picture. And I think bringing Magnussen back into the fold was the best thing that they could do. Uh, he's been solid, fifth on 
his return in Bahrain, which is probably Haas's best results in best result in a couple of years now as well. But you got to say that again, their lack of upgrades is hurting them. There's a spell in the middle of the year, middle of the first half of the season where. You know, there was a few DNFs, it was finishing at the back of the grid, um, but again, he's been quite good with picking up those points, and quite handy in the sprint races as well, he's been able to score points on the boat in both the sprints so far this season, um, though big questions about Mick Schumacher, of course, you know, we've seen him in his previous seasons in previous uh, categories, that where he comes into his second year, he's a lot stronger than in the first and that's kind of not what's happened so far this season. He's been hit hard by uh, DNFs and crashes of his own causing. You know, there was a crash in Miami where he hit his uh, mentor and friend in Sebastian Vettel. So that wasn't a very good look for him. Uh, crashed the car in qualifying in Saudi, in Saudi as well. So he didn't even race there. But it took him till about Silverstone to, to score some points. And, you know, he scored points again in Austria with a sixth place finish. And it was nice that Austrian Grand Prix. I think it's been his race, uh, his best weekend so far in Formula One, where he's actually able to go toe to toe with Lewis Hamilton. I think he was either in the Grand Prix or the sprint. He was a bit disappointed not to make it into the points, uh, into the top eight for the sprint, but was in the top 10 for the race. Um, but yeah, still a bit of question marks around his future, whether he's going to stay at Haas, whether he's going to move on elsewhere. I don't think there's much room on the grid when you look, you know, that there was the seat at Aston Martin if he was keen, but if I was Mick, I would stay at Haas, given the fact that, you know, he is a Ferrari young driver and Ferrari have the option over the second seat at Haas. Like, even though they've announced uh, Antonio Giovinazzi as their uh, reserve driver or the driver that's going to do some FP1s for them later this year, I don't think I'd want to put Giovinazzi in the car over a Schumacher. So, you know, it would be a shame if Mick was to miss out uh, on a seat. But, yeah, good job from those guys to be sitting where they are at the moment in the standings. That's seventh to be exact. And then Alfa Romeo, of course, a bit ahead of them in six. So that's a big improvement on where they were last year. Ahead of those guys, we've got Alpine and uh, McLaren. So Mick Alpine, I've titled this one. Um, they've pretty much locked in a battle for fourth in the Constructors' Championship, with which Alpine is leading at the moment by four points. Uh, Alpine have really made a step forward this year. You can see they've been strong with their race pace as well. Esteban Ocon and Fernando Alonso doing a good job. Alonso, earlier on in the season, had some problems. Uh, you know, driver error, unreliability, whatever you want to say. You know, there will always be the the call of whether in Australia he could have qualified on the front row and had the race pace to finish on the podium or whatever. It's all good and well in hindsight. But then on the other side of things, McLaren have dropped the ball with their 22 car. So they've had problems uh, since the second test at Bahrain with their brakes. It saw a dismal start to their season. They didn't score points on debut. Uh, they were 
nowhere near the top 10. They were so far behind. You know, it was like watching a McLaren Honda go around, to be honest. And uh, luckily, that was not the case. But Lando Norris, again, has been doing what he can to move the team forward. Got the surprise podium as well in Imola. And he's sitting 7th in the standings at the moment. And ahead of him is... Uh, you know, all the top three teams drivers. So, you know, Hamilton, Sainz and, and Russell and all that. So to be sitting ahead of the likes of Ocon, you know, and Alonso who are in the faster car at the moment is such a testament to Lando and his efforts as well. So, and the fact that we see Lando mixing it with those top three teams sometimes and qualifying and even getting ahead of them like we saw in Hungary, uh, fourth or whatever he qualified in the wet, that was such a great performance. Yet on the other side of the garage, Daniel Ricciardo, like, oh boy, <laughs> I, I really feel that the writing is on the wall for Dan, unfortunately. Um He's only had a best of six this season, which was in his home race in Australia. He's sitting 12th in the standings. He hasn't really featured as much in the points. He he got points there in Austria and in, in France, which was which was ninth in both races. But he just can't seem to qualify, like get any pace out of the car and qualifying. And then in the race, you know, we saw him in Hungary putting putting on some moves or whatever. But then came together with Stroll and that pretty much was his race over so you know what what's going to happen there and like we know that um, Piastri at the moment Oscar Piastri is involved in some legal issues with Alpine you know the fact that um, the silly season was triggered by Vettel's retirement and Alonso announcing he's going to Aston Martin and then Alpine saying Oscar Piastri is going to be in our car next year and Piastri's like uh, no, you didn't have my consent when you made that announcement, and no, I won't be driving one of your cars next to you, which makes you believe that Piastri is off to McLaren to replace Ricardo. so what's going to happen there, which we haven't heard much through the break, I'm sure it'll rev back into gear uh, this weekend with what's going on and everything, um, what do I believe? I mean, just for the sake of not losing Ricardo off the grid, hopefully he... Uh, gets a Hail Mary from Alpine and ends up going back there, which, again, makes you question why he left Renault in the first place. You know, did he not believe that they could be better than McLaren? I mean, I said this in a piece that I'm, uh, I was writing yesterday, that I'm starting to see shades of Fernando Alonso in Ricardo and his, in his decision-making when it comes to his career, because... You know, he's made, he made the call to leave Red Bull at the end of 2018. He went over to Renault thinking that, yeah, he can turn this team around and, you know, they'll be fighting Red Bull and everything, which didn't happen at all. Um, and then only a season into his Renault deal did he decide that, oh, I'm going to make the switch to McLaren after Carlos Sainz uh, was going over to Ferrari. So, you know, you've got to question what, he's thinking, you know, what the motivation is, I know he wants to win, and all that sort of stuff, but at the same time, like, it, something's got to give, and this is not me completely having a go at Ricardo because I'm a big fan and everything, uh, McLaren have certainly dropped the ball with the car this year as well, they haven't had the as strong a car as they have in previous seasons where, you know, Carlos Sainz and Norris were able to go in and finish third in the Constructors. And again, last year, 
Lando putting in those performances, Ricardo getting the win. They missed out on third because um, one driver couldn't do as good as the other. So this year, if they finish fifth, you know, that's definitely going behind and you can't say that it's all on the car. So it's a it's an interesting one, and for McLaren too, we know that 2024 is kind of the year that they expect to be a bit more competitive or be closer to the front-running teams because they get their new facilities online, the new wind tunnel and all, so they're kind of playing a long game with that. And perhaps signing a driver like Piastri is going to be good for the future, securing their future, because they've got Norris there on a long-term deal. They can have a blood, a young... A driver like Piastri, if he sinks or swim in F1, that's another question because, you know, why he wouldn't stick it out with Alpine, you know, the team that spent a lot of money in uh, nurturing him and giving him all this testing this year as well. It's it's kind of difficult, but then again, you know, that's what the contract said. You know, he was supposed to, they had an option to, what do you call it? They had an option to exercise, uh, but the time expired or whatever, and, you know, that's when Alonso announced what he was going to do. So it's all a bit unfortunate for Alpine. They're the ones who look like the losers in this situation, so um, that's a bit sad. But if they do finish fourth in the Constructors, you know, that's definitely not something that you can call them losers over because I think on track that they've, they've had a really good year, McLaren... Yeah, you know, again, they just need to improve. And whether Ricardo can turn his form around as well, heading into the back half of the year, uh, some good races coming up where he has done pretty strong in the past. You know, he's won you know, at Spa, he's won at Monza. You know, they're two good races for him. Uh, just have to see. And Monza, again, a track that might suit the McLaren this year. So we should hopefully see him a bit more competitive uh, when we get there in a few weeks' time. Ahead of those guys, well, we've got Mercedes in third, uh, and really, should I should put them in with, with, you know, Ferrari and with Red Bull, because they have been uh, up there, not quite as good as the Red Bulls, of course, and, and Ferrari in terms of qualifying speed, but they've just shown why they're such a good team, why they are eight-time world champions, you know, they've stuck to their guns with the, the zero side pods concept or whatever, um, they've suffered greatly with the porpoising and the bouncing, the problems that have come as a result of these ground effect cars. But when you look at their results, it doesn't seem like that they've had problems as such. You know, Lewis Hamilton, he's got five straight podiums at the moment. Um, the last two races, both Mercedes have finished on the podium. So two, three finishes for Hamilton and for Russell as well, who Russell, like, let's not forget, you know, it's his first season with Mercedes. Bar Silverstone, he hasn't finished lower than fifth. You know, he's been getting more out of the car than Hamilton at times as well, especially in that early part of the season where we saw him have that run of top five finishes, uh, which is so great. And getting that podium in Australia as well, he was on top of Hamilton all weekend. Um, and yeah, like, what is it? You know, could you say that that call for a change of mindset that I talked about earlier in the year, I said... Mercedes, you know, they're not going to be fighting for the world championship this year. It's going to be about maximizing the result in the Constructors' Championship. And, you know, for a driver of Hamilton's caliber as well, who's been in the title fight for many years now, 
it's going to be more about supporting the team and getting the best result for the team. Like, I still stand by the fact that we might not see Hamilton win another title in F1, but he's still very much a race-winning driver. I think one of those two Mercedes cars, and I think Hamilton more so than Russell, might win a race in this back half of the season. It's it's yet to be seen. And the fact that they're so close to second in the Constructors' Championship as well, um, 30 points behind to be precise, I really think that they can overhaul Ferrari, given how Ferrari just seems to be lacking that operational sharpness, which a team like Mercedes, who they're so modern, they're so slick, they're so well-organised, they don't have the fastest car, but they can still get these results. A lot of people might dislike them, but this is what I admire about the, about them is how good that they really are. Even if it means that you know the FIA are going to change scrutineering around flaws heading into the Belgian Grand Prix, which might affect Ferrari and Red Bull a lot more. But you know, Mercedes, they're they're clever operators, so got to give them that. Um, and yeah, you know, good to see the way that the both the drivers are working together as well. Russell and Hamilton, they've got their own strengths and, and their own weaknesses, but overall I think they're doing a good job together. Might be a different story if they were fighting for the championship, and then I'm pretty sure we'll see Hamilton at his full ruthlessness, but, um, you know, for what it is at the moment, they're doing an amazing job. Uh, and then, yeah, ahead of them, Max has been supreme, you know, taking it to the Supermax, basically, and Ferrari have blown it, basically, so all the superlatives in the world can be used to describe the season that Max has had so far, like I was writing about this earlier today, uh, ahead of the season resuming there in Belgium, and basically saying what I see this year from Max, you know, take aside the fact that, you know, he feels that they're still not perfect, they still don't have the best car, you know, he doesn't care about the lead that he has in the championship, he just wants the car to be perfect every weekend, and yes, you know, they've, they've got some problems with the car being overweight, and they're not as quick in qualifying as a Ferrari, but he's 80 points ahead of, of Charles Leclerc at the moment, eight wins to his name, it is reminding me a lot of Sebastian Vettel when he was at Red Bull, particularly the 2011 season, where you know, after the Hungarian Grand Prix, when they went into the mid-season break, Vettel was 85 points clear of his teammate Mark Webber at the time, and the kind of drives that uh, Verstappen has had, such as, you know, Miami, Imola, uh, Hungary, France as well, is showing how ruthless he is. Hungary, you know, that could be the drive of the season for for Verstappen, the fact that he started 10th, you know, of with a power unit problem, of course, in qualifying that, you know, prevented him from doing any better in Q3, to then basically just under the radar, make his way up through the field to finish uh, and win the race. It's, it's so uncanny, and given the fact that I think all the different things going on around him, all the errors that other teams have been making chiefly Ferrari, like, what, what they were doing in Hungary, no idea, then again, you know, we don't know what they're doing any, any time of the year with their strategy, it's just, it just shows how good a driver Verstappen is, how much of a step up he's taken from last year, and last year, you know, he was locked in that intense fight with Hamilton until the final race for the championship, this year he doesn't have that as such, you know, but he's still wanting more, he's still wanting more, and that kind of shows that there might be no limit 
to what Verstappen can achieve. And that's kind of what was prophesized about Verstappen coming into F1 when he did join at such a young age. They knew the kind of talent that he had and that, you know, this is the kind of ruthlessness and the records that he could achieve and break and everything. You know, they Red Bull basically wanted another Sebastian Vettel after Sebastian Vettel left and they've got it in, in the form of Max Verstappen. So it's really good to see in that respect that that's what's happening. Uh, he has been quite strong ever since Imola, you know, coming out of the third race in Australia, everyone had written him off or some people had written him off saying that, you know, he can't come back after a 46 point deficit, you know, to Leclerc. And he's just like, well, hold my Red Bull. Here I come, you know, now I'm leading by 80 points. So it's, it's quite a, quite a stark contrast to what it was looking like earlier on the season. But I, for one, hadn't written off, Max, but more so thought that, um, you know, we might see a closer fight than it has been so far, so it's been good to see him, for, for the Red Bull fans, for the Verstappen fans, to, the way he has come out, Checo, Sergio Checo Perez, good to see him a bit more settled in within, within the team now, he got the win in Monaco, which was quite special, uh, you know, anyone who wins the Monaco Grand Prix, it's quite an achievement, uh, I still feel like he can overhaul Leclerc for second in the championship too, so to really make it like a 2011-style season for Red Bull, where they finished 1-2 in the championship, uh, Checo has to finish in second. He's had the rub of the green ahead of Verstappen at times this season, you know, especially with that overweight car and qualifying. But, you know, he has been a bit more inconsistent of late. So if he can get those consistency, can, if he can get that consistency back in order, then I'm sure we'll see him ahead of Leclerc. There's only five points in it between them at the moment. So that's also quite galling when you look at that. And yeah, Ferrari, what do you say about them? I've kind of said what I needed to a lot. You know, you know how I feel about Ferrari. And the worst part about it is, I think back to what I said a couple of years ago and saying that, you know, we need to change our mindsets on Ferrari. We need to kind of lay off them a little bit because they've said they're going to come back in 2022. So rather than criticizing them for 2020 and for 2021 or whatever, not being able to fight for the championship or for wins, um, we need to focus more on 2022 and what they're supposed to achieve in that season and what have they achieved so far this season they've had some wins yeah they've had four wins in total Leclerc's been on pole a whole bunch but they just haven't got that sharpness like a Mercedes or a Red Bull driver errors have been left right and center reliability problems as well and when you look at Carlos Sainz this season it's been pretty dismal when it comes to reliability Leclerc having DNFs in um, in Barcelona and Baku because of reliability. Then he makes his own mistake in France. Basically did a Vettel in 2018 when he was at Hockenheim for Ferrari too. Um, the strategic calls there in Monaco, you know, where neither Ferrari ended up on the podium. Sorry, no, Science did, but uh, Leclerc didn't end up on the podium. And then in Hungary, you know, what were they thinking with the hard tyres? Like, they were on a completely different strategy tyre-wise to Red Bull and Verstappen. So why crumble when uh, they came in for their second stop? You know, why react to that to try and overcut them? It wasn't going to work. 
you know, where they had the hard tyres as the only compound. They should have stuck to their guns, gone late, put on the soft tyre and see what would have happened. They would have at least had a podium, possibly, rather than finishing where they did fourth and, and sixth for Leclerc in particular. So, and Leclerc taking that third stop for soft tyres and didn't even end up taking the point for fastest lap. It's, it's, it's comical. It's, it's a comedy of errors, basically, and I'm not the biggest Ferrari fan. I, I couldn't care if they won the championship or not. It's the fact that, you know, again, they're touted as favourites. You know, they've had this time, they've had all the resources to be able to do it, and yet they still can't get it right, you know. All these other teams, Mercedes and, and Red Bull, they've, they've been successful because... They seem to know what it takes to win in this modern day and age. Whereas Ferrari, you know, they're stuck in their past glory. They, they're they never going to win if it's going to be like that. And I still stand by, you know, Mattia Bonotto. I don't think that there's anyone else out there who could do any better than him at the moment. So let's not all start a coup and get rid of him like I've seen some people suggest. Uh, it's more so... They've got to really conduct some kind of internal review at the end of this season, or they might have already in the middle of the year to say, what do we need to do better on the pit wall? Because that's kind of what's letting us down at the moment. And for Leclerc as well, if he's the leading driver, if he wants to be champion, he's got to kind of exert that ruthlessness and that champion's persona. Like Silverstone, for example, he could have been a bit more demanding with coming in to switch to the soft tire at the end of the race rather than seeing his teammate get put on the soft tire and then go on and win the Grand Prix like as good as it is to see Sainz win a race you know we're all big Carlos Sainz fans from a championship championship perspective it really made no sense where Leclerc finished fourth and not even on the podium and could have got more points on Verstappen that weekend than he did and seeing uh, his teammate go and win. So, kind of disappointing in that respect, but what do you do? It's the same old story, really. I don't think it's going to change anytime soon. And, yeah, it's really Verstappen's title to lose at this stage. Overall, then, it's it's been a pretty good season so far. You know, it's, you know, the exciting... Um, the excitement with the new regulations and the fact that, you know, we see more wheel-to-wheel battles like we did in Silverstone and whatnot and the cars being able to follow more closely kind of has been masked by the fact that it's one-way traffic at the top of the championship. But it doesn't take away from the fact that, you know, we're seeing a lot more interest and excitement with Formula 1 as well. There's still a lot of things that, you know, absolutely annoy the living daylights out of me and you know we see that again with uh, the arguments between the drivers and, and the race directors this year you know like at least I'll give credit to race direction and race control for the consistency on uh, track limits and all that sort of thing you know there's still some things that they got iron out in terms of penalties and whatnot but it has been overall quite good um, which is good you know given the fact, you know, all the, the hoo-ha after the end of last season and everything, you know, we didn't really want to see a repeat of that and, um, you know, see them do worse than they did. But again, you know, the divide between the FIA and um, and Formula One as well is quite an interesting thing to keep an eye out on. You know, finally, did they were, were they able to confirm the 2026 engine regulations too? So we should see, hopefully, the likes of Porsche and Audi confirm their presence from then as well. You know, Porsche looking to buy into Red Bull 
uh, 50% stake in Red Bull, and then, of course, Audi looking to get in with Sauber as well, so uh, we should hopefully see that in the back half of the season. Nine races to go, got the triple header, Spa, Zandvoort, Monza coming up, which is always great, you know, we had Zandvoort come back last year, it wasn't the most exciting race, of course, with Max walking away with it, but, you know, it's it's such a great track and you know the passion of the crowd hopefully they will behave themselves as well as we've seen in you know what's been going on in recent races and and stuff and good to see the Belgian Grand Prix organizers kind of clamping down on that sort of anti-social behavior with you know limiting what the fans can bring in and whatnot and you know that's the thing like if it was here you wouldn't see that you wouldn't be allowed to bring in flares or bring your own alcohol and that sort of thing so it's good to see them cracking down on that, you know, everyone deserves to have a good time wherever they are, if it's at a race or at a concert or any other sporting event, so let's not let, you know, a few bad eggs ruin it for everyone, so, you know, if they want to have fun, have fun on your own, in your own little area, don't ruin it for the rest of us. Uh, seeing some favourites return to the calendar too, Japan and Singapore, which obviously haven't been on the calendar since 2019 because of the pandemic will be good to see again i always talk about how it's annoying having japan clash with the bathurst 1000 so that'll be one to navigate again this year but um it'll be good to see suzuka back on the calendar as with singapore too so that pretty much wraps this one up so thank you very much for tuning in of course you can find me on on twitter at hit the apex media there's also a link tree as well with all the other links that are relevant to me and this podcast um shout out as always to uh, f1 grid talk podcast and all the people uh, lovely people who are on there looking forward to um being guest on their show again at uh, times for the rest of the season other than that I'll be back next week to do the Belgian Grand Prix review and also Sandown Super Sprint, which was on last weekend too. So I didn't want to talk about that today, but I'll do that next week. Until then, take care, guys, and we'll see you then.